When you are building something no one has ever seen, something no one has ever imagined, who can you turn to for help? The answer is the other people who are facing the same issues you are. Those product inventing, boundary pushing, design obsessed folks who are just like you. Welcome to AWS Startup Stories. I'm Michelle Kung. And I'm Michael Copeland. What follows are the tools that work, the leadership practices that make a difference, and the lessons you only learn by building a company. And one more thing, what startup jockeys do with a very rare item, their downtime. So let's get to it. We're taking a deep dive into ASEAN in the following podcast, talking with founders and investors from one of the world's fastest growing startup ecosystems. From Singapore to Ho Chi Minh City, Bangkok, Jakarta, and other parts of the region, hear how entrepreneurs are tackling this massive market, what investors are hunting for, and why startups are having such an impact across all dimensions in this part of the world. Welcome to the AWS Startup Podcast. I'm Michael Copeland, and we have here with us today Deepak Pitta, who is the CEO and co-founder of Space Age Labs, based not in outer space, but in Singapore. Deepak, welcome. Uh, good morning. Uh, good evening, Michael. Uh, <laughs> good morning to you. Yeah, thanks for joining <laughs> us. I, you know, I have to check in. So, how are you? And how is how is your team? How is your family? How are your people uh, all doing in Singapore? Uh, everyone is good. I think the number of COVID cases has gone down in Singapore. So we are slowly opening up. Uh, we've got some of the team members going back to the office. That is primarily because we do hardware as well, not just software. Right. And the tools are in the office, so there's no choice. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about Space Age Labs. You're one of the co-founders. It's an IoT platform. You guys have been focused on water, but you, like you say, you have hardware um, that combines with clever software um, and machine learning to monitor mm. water for leaks, um, but also to monitor sewage for toxicity. Yeah. Tell us what you guys do and how you do it. Yeah, uh, so maybe uh, a little bit of history of where we come from uh, before I explain what we do. So uh, I and my co-founders come from an industrial background. So we have worked with oil and gas uh, and water utilities uh, before we started this company. So we realized that there are a lot of physical assets which are uh, remote or outdoors, which don't get monitored well. Uh, and because of aging infrastructure, uh, these leads to accidents, these leads lead to leakages or even a wastage of resources. So uh, we saw there were so many technologies which were used in the consumer market uh, uh, in the, using Internet of Things and machine learning, but these were not translated into these traditional industries. And we wanted to bring that to these industries. So that's how we started this company. That was the motivation. How can we help the operations and maintenance of these critical infrastructure? Uh, using sensors, uh, low-power wireless technologies, and uh, advanced software. Uh, we started uh, with a focus on the water industry, uh, because I think water is very crucial for any city or any uh, country. For all of us, that is for sure. Yep. That's what we do in a gist, yeah. So when you say low power, you guys have hardware that give us, describe for us how your kind of network and your platform works and how the low power because I can imagine that if you have this, let's say it's a, a water pipeline or, or, or a water network for that matter across a city like Singapore or pick a big place. But 
you you have these things everywhere kind of checking in, but you can't mm. go visit those devices all the time. So how do you guys build out your, your smart networks, as it were, and what does that look like? Yeah, so you're very right. Uh, once you install our sensors on a pipe or on a tank or on a river, uh, which is very remote, uh, you can't go and replace batteries or replace the devices. So, so these devices are designed to last on batteries for five to 10 years. Uh, and they uh, transmit long distances, so they can transmit up to five to 10 kilometers uh, in an urban area. So from the device to the receiver, it can be a few kilometers and there would be no problem. We have a few base stations across the country which receive the data from these devices. And then the base stations forward the data to our software, which is currently hosted on uh, AWS infrastructure. And all, once we receive the data in the, in the cloud, uh, we use uh, machine learning and data analysis to process this data and give insights to the operators. Uh, so it's not just raw data coming in. Uh, we are processing this data and making it user-friendly, making it insightful for them to take actions uh, when necessary. So I want to talk about the insightful part. What yeah. does that mean? Because I can imagine that it's sort of a binary, either it's leaking or it's not. But I know that if you are monitoring it in different ways, then you can you can add on all the, all kinds of layers of intelligence. So what are you yeah. able to to tell folks that would have been sort of hard to, to tell them before? Sure, sure. So uh, just to explain, uh, leak monitoring is one of the use cases uh, we empower. There are many other use cases, uh, including river quality monitoring, as you mentioned, we are doing sewer toxicity monitoring. Maybe just to give an example of insights. So we also do underground sewer network monitoring. So I don't know about in, in the US, but in Singapore, most of the sewer, is, sewer system is underground. And they're designed and they're, they're kind of left, but around the sewer network over a period of time, a lot of new buildings are constructed or new factories are constructed. So sometimes the sewers become undersized unless you monitor them in real time. And this can lead to overflow of the sewer network. So what we are doing right now is we are installing sensors in the sewer network, uh, underground sewer network. And in real time, we keep monitoring the flow and the level of the sewage flowing through this network. And uh, using predictive uh, analysis, we can actually tell if the flow is increasing. It means that there is a, an additional source of sewer sewage coming from somewhere. So right. it means that maybe there's a new building constructed or someone is discharging more than they are permitted to discharge. And we can take action uh, in advance before uh, something goes wrong. There, there is even more advanced analysis where we can have sensors in the sewer, we can have sensors in the rivers, and sometimes there is a correlation between uh, bad water quality and sewer overflow. Right, because, right. Yeah, that so, makes sense. so these kind of things happen uh, when you have sensors in multiple areas, not only in the sewer, but also in the river and in the soil. Uh, and then you can correlate all the data coming from different sources. So, so one of our key value proposition is we are sensor agnostic, uh, which means uh, we can uh, monitor different assets in a water utility. Uh, and then correlate all the data coming from different sources. Interesting. Uh, I, for the record, I'm sensor agnostic too. <laughs> when you step back though and think about you know what's possible today, so we're talking about both water pipelines for supply, sewage for um, you know getting rid of that supply, and then rivers. Like, 
where does this go next? And how do these layers of data and information inform kind of what we are able to do, how we develop, how we better utilize, I guess, our, our, our infrastructure, not to mention, you know, our water? So maybe just to give uh, give you a little bit of background about Singapore, Singapore Im- imports 60% of its water from Malaysia, which is our neighboring country. So we don't have a lot of our own water. So every drop of water is very crucial and it is expensive. Right? Yeah. So we pay, uh, pay a, a high price for water here. So uh, Singapore has become one of the leading uh, water utilities in the world and they spend a lot on maintaining infrastructure. Having said that, a lot of our piping is also from the 60s or the 70s, right? It's It's been 50 years since this has been laid. Yeah. And uh, there is a push now to, to upgrade this infrastructure, but you cannot do it overnight. You need to do it in phases, right? And then how do you decide where to start? So we are doing a project right now with the local utilities where we actually measure the corrosivity of the soil under which the the water pipes are and the more corrosive the soil the more it's an indirect inference on um, the the pipe being more damaged so so this data enables the uh, utility to decide where to start uh, replacing first Uh, so the more corrosive the soil the higher the chances that the pipe is damaged there and they can start doing uh, the repairs over there or replacement of the pipes over there so I, I'm sure most of the countries uh, have very old infrastructure now, and they're looking to change that. So instead of doing it in an ad hoc manner or uh, just uh, guesswork, uh, I think we can use sensors and data to actually prioritize and plan uh, this. Yeah. yeah, so you know you might have to replace yeah. this infrastructure, but um, you can start in the smartest way with the most sort of impact and the least possibility for something to have some, you know, horrific failure because you started in the wrong spot, maybe. Yeah. That's interesting. You guys are also sort of shifting, although it's water related, but also to to greenery and landscaping, right? So is that on the irrigation side? Is it water kind of flow for greenery or is it monitoring the greenery itself? So yeah, uh, just to uh, give you a background on why we are doing this, I believe uh, water and greenery are ever evergreen assets. Uh, we will always need water and we'll always need greenery. So, And these are very important for human existence. So these are two areas we really wanted to get into. And uh, within the landscape industry, we are starting with monitoring how the greenery is maintained right now. Uh, so in, in Singapore, uh, uh, we have around uh, 50,000 locations where they cut grass and uh, they don't know whether the contractor has cut the grass properly or not, and uh, the tax taxpayer money is used to pay these contractors. So it leads to uh, situations where they don't cut the grass, but they get paid for it. Right? I see. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, also, if, if the grass grows uh, too long, then there is a case of mosquitoes, and it leads to health situations like dengue. Uh, and then the snakes. We, we live in an equatorial uh, country, so the uh, snakes will come snakes out. And then, you're always looking for a way back in. Right. Yeah, kids uh, usually kids go and play in these uh, grasslands, right, in right. the parks. So it's a it's a security or health risk as well. So there are many aspects to this, uh, but we started with monitoring how the grass is being cut. But there's a, a the bigger picture here. So uh, there's the link to the water uh, aspect as well. 
because a lot of water is used to ir- irrigate these lands. Right, well. of course. Yeah. So how do how do we optimize the usage of water in these? Uh, I was recently reading an article about golf courses. Right, uh, golf courses are also a form of greenery, and they 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 actually use a, a lot of water. And I, I remember when there was the, the water crisis in California, the the, go- the golf courses decided to reduce the amount of water they uh, they wanted to use uh, to irrigate their lands, and they. I think they were looking at how to use technology to do this. Yeah. So even for us, beyond urban greenery, I think there are places like golf courses or resorts or uh, private uh, properties where we can help uh, this process. And and you know, Singapore is this city of the future for for many of us who who get to visit there or when we get to visit there, I should say. But as you guys are facing and and figuring out new ways to really conserve water. You know, certainly here in California, we could use the help, uh, no yeah. doubt. And more and more parts of the world, you know, let's never mind, you know, sub-Saharan Africa need mm. better approaches to water and water management. That is for sure. In addition to being CEO and co-founder of Space Age Labs, another couple of titles you have are Explorer, Writer, and yeah. Photographer. And this came from your, uh, I don't want to call it a walkabout, but, you know, as Flying Pitta. So this is when you went all around Southeast Asia and India to think about and talk to people who were working on the problems it seems like Space Age Labs is helping to solve. So I just want to know in your in your flying pitta persona, um, did that lead in some ways to Space Age Labs? And what did you find out? So uh, just a little bit of history. So I spent six years uh, designing uh, oil rigs for a company in Singapore. Uh, and uh, Pretty soon I got bored of it because it was a huge company and I was one of the employees. Uh, our typical projects would include 5,000 people on a project and you're oh, one wow. of them. Just to be clear, your background's not as a mechanical engineer, it's as a, an electrical engineer and, and computer scientist? Yeah, so, yes. My background is in robotics, mm-hmm. so electronics and mechanical. Yeah. Uh, so it's called me- mechatronics. But I was working with sensors and uh, instruments and uh, software uh, on the oil rigs. Got it. Okay. Uh, so so that, that's kind of my background. I used to do electronics for fun with my friends. Uh, but pretty soon, like after six years, I, I, uh, I didn't know where my career was going uh, and I was not growing. So I, I thought I'll take a break. I applied for an MBA seat in, uh, I think, Berkeley and Sloan uh, in the US. Uh, uh, but I was not sure whether I really wanted to do an MBA. So I thought, okay, let me take a break. I decided to uh, travel over land from Singapore to London. Oh, wow. Uh, and decide, and, yeah, so that, that was the plan. And uh, once I reached London, my plan was to fly to, to Brazil for the Olympics. <laughs> uh, it, was during, it was during that time. So, uh-huh. <laughs> and then I, I left Singapore, and, uh, went to Malaysia, which is the next country. I went to Thailand, uh, Cambodia, the Southeast Asian countries. Uh, and I have a passion for photography. Uh, and a passion to help people. So I thought I would combine all of this and see what happens. And maybe I would get uh, some idea or revelation on, on what to do next. So flying, uh, pitta means bird in Sanskrit. So flying pitta was my moniker when I was uh, going around and I had a, a, a small blog as well at that point of time. I did a lot of things when I was uh, uh, traveling around uh, Southeast Asia. I stayed with some tribal people in East Malaysia. 
to understand how different their life is to us and how technology is impacting their society. Uh, because uh, till the 1950s, they lived in isolation and suddenly yeah. they were exposed to modern civilization. So how has it impacted their lives? And uh, is it good? Is it bad? Uh, to get a context of which side of uh, living is, is a better way of doing things. Now, this is a whole other conversation, but can, can like, not to kind of oversimplify, but can you give us some examples of like what you found and that impact? Yeah. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was in Thailand, uh, I, uh, I went with some doctors into the forest uh, to help some displaced people. Uh, who didn't have access to clean water and didn't have access to to food, and uh, they were you could I realized that you could solve a lot of the problems these people had using very simple technology. You didn't even need to use things like machine learning. Uh, and then I slowly realized that there are a lot of people whose lives we could touch using very simple technology. It uh, need not be very advanced, but that made me realize that in our hands we have such powerful technology that we can do much more right and we can impact the lives of the people beyond the cities uh, in in the rural areas or even uh, who who live in remote areas uh, using the the knowledge that i had or the knowledge that the people around me had so that kind of led me and when i was uh, in thailand my friends called me uh, and this was during the time I was having these thoughts. And they said, why don't you come back to Singapore? And we are, uh, these IoT is picking up. I think we can do some good using this. Let's start in Singapore and then expand into Southeast Asia and India, and then see how we can help the people in the region. So that's kind of how I decided, okay, maybe I'll not go to London. I'll come back <laughs> to Singapore. Right. And then give it a try. So I said, give, I'll try it for six months. And if it works out, then uh, let's continue. And it's been four years since. Then. Yeah, it seems like it's working out. And, and, and I love the, the through line because you are doing what you, you were kind of woken up to while you were traveling around Southeast Asia and seeing how there are these problems that can be solved with both, in your case, you know, simple and yet very sophisticated technologies as well. Yeah. And do you think that that approach, the approach that you guys take at Space Age Labs, finds its way increasingly into that kind of context, whether we're talking about remote parts of Thailand or, or Malaysia or, or other places? Yes. So uh, we recently joined a San Francisco-based accelerator called Imagine H2O, uh, which focuses on bringing technology uh, into the water sector. And uh, the focus of this program specifically is the ASEAN market. So it's called Imagine H2O Asia. And we are part of the first cohort uh, that was selected last year. So now, actually this year was supposed to be the year we go and go to these markets and bring these technologies to say Indonesia, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam. Right. But because of COVID, I think it's been delayed a bit. Uh, but we have started establishing networks over there uh, we have spoken to people like ADB, uh, World Bank, uh, who might want to sponsor some of these projects because one of the issues in these countries is uh, access to capital yep. to deploy these kind of technology solutions. Yep. And uh, with IoT, there's a hardware element which comes with an upfront cost. So we are looking at the ways of how we can innovate on the business model or financing of these solutions so that it's affordable in these countries as well. 
so over the next one year, I think we are looking to deploy some solution uh, in, in these countries uh, and test out this uh, business model. Well, we will definitely be checking back in to have a conversation about that. Yeah. But as far as this conversation goes, I want to welcome Maher Vaswani, who is another AWS person and my colleague in Jakarta. Maher, welcome. Thank you. I think it's a little bit earlier for you, but Maher is going to take us through our four questions. So I have four questions and think of it more of maybe like a rapid fire round. So first one being, what's a tool you use on a regular basis? Okay, I'm a very old fashioned person. So I, I need a notebook and a pen. Uh, that's my favorite tool and I carry it around everywhere. I write down my tasks, I write down my, my thoughts. Um, so yeah, that would be my favorite tool. Awesome. What's a leadership practice or routine that you do? Something that, you know, it works uh, with your team? Yeah, uh, we have uh, implemented something called the daily stand-up, where every morning at 10.30 a.m., the entire team gathers, whether it's the CEO or the intern, and everyone tells what they did yesterday and what they're going to do on that day. And I think it really helps in, in communication and openness. Everyone knows what everyone is doing and you get to see the entire team every morning. So I think that has really helped even during this situation when everyone is working from home. We jump, jump on a call and then we do this. Nice, so one of the best practices from Agile. What's a lesson learned? I think for, this is more of a personal uh, lesson learned. Uh, I come from an engineering background, so I was a techie before I became a CEO. Uh, so I, I like to do everything myself, uh, but soon I realized that I don't have enough time in a day to do everything that needs to be done for the, the startup. So I slowly realized that delegation is very important and I need to trust the people who I work with. And that took some time, but I think I am at, in, a, in a space now where I can really trust uh, everyone I work with and uh, expect them to deliver and focus my time on things that really matter. I, I have to jump in here. Um, Deepak, what's, what's something that you find hardest to let go of and delegate? Uh, designing marketing material. Uh, <laughs> this is strange because That's I... That's not I, what I expected. Yeah, it, it, I'll tell you why. Because I, I love designing stuff. So I, I love using Adobe uh, tools and designing a poster or designing our logo or designing the website. Uh, so we are launching a new website and I... I could not let go. I was like, I want to design the website. So, so I would spend nights, like uh, daytime I work and in the night I, I design the website for the company. So this is something, now. Uh, these are the kind of things I can't let go because I, I feel that I can do it better than anyone in the company. But now I'm realizing that there are other things where my time might be required rather than designing a poster or designing a logo. <laughs> right, right. Well, you can always design, uh, do some posters on your, on your, for yourself on, the, uh, on your yeah. spare time. So the last one is, what are you currently binging? It can be anything you're reading, watching, listening to, or even eating. Yeah. Uh, so I, I spend... Uh, my time from morning 8 uh, to evening 6.30 working. So after 6.30, I don't like to do uh, anything related to work. So I read. Currently, I'm reading uh, a book by Bill Bryson called The Body. 
So it's it's a really nice book explaining the different parts of our body and uh, but in a very simple manner. So I'm doing that. I recently got a pet bird. Uh, it's it's my first pet. So I, I spent some time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we heard it chirping a little bit in the background there. You must have it. It's a very um, vocal bird. So uh, yeah. So I'm trying. I'm learning a lot from the bird. Uh, how to handle a bird. So uh, that's something else. And then I usually spend uh, like thirty to forty minutes in in the evening watching Netflix or, or some show. Right now I'm watching The Flash. Uh, so I I want to watch something which is uh, supernatural or something not related to this world. So uh, I spend some time there, and then I spend time with my wife uh, uh, in the evening doing gardening or something uh, in the house. Yeah. Nice. So what's the bird's name, and what kind of bird is it? It's a, it's a it's a kind of a parrot. It's a love bird. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it, it, we named it Diamond. So. Uh. I told my wife I'm going to get you a diamond and then I brought the pen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very nice. So, Deepak, thank you for taking the time again to chat with us. It was super informative and hopefully we get to chat soon in a year or so when you've expanded again. Yeah, Deepak, uh, I just want to thank you as well and um, I'm with you on the notebook side of things. I hope you're not religious about what type of notebook and what type of pen uh, or pencil, but uh, Yeah, it's always good. They they never seem to run out of batteries, which is yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice speaking to you, Michael as well. Thanks, Mahesh. If you are looking to get started on the cloud with AWS, our Activate program provides startups with a host of benefits, including AWS credits, technical support, training, and other resources to help grow your business. Head to aws.amazon.com/backslash/activate for more. Do us a favor and leave us a review. And if you know someone who we should have on the show, or maybe it's you, reach out to us at startupstories@amazon.com. And subscribe to AWS Startup Stories wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.